I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. Welcome to episode 76 of the Weave Podcast. This week on the podcast, you're going to hear from me. It's a little strange because I am basically going to be talking to myself (laughs) into a mic, Um, but I hope that you all enjoy this episode. I am doing an update on how things are going with me and how I feel halfway through this journey that you all heard me talk about the first episode of this segment. And I just wanted to check in with you all. A large part of the reason that I'm doing this episode this way is because I want to add an aspect of transparency and I feel compelled to reveal a little bit more about myself. I know you all usually hear me talking to farmers and asking questions and kind of just giggling in the background here and there. But I, I I just feel compelled that I want to share a little bit more about what's happening. And I feel that way because, you know, small picture my life and the things that happen or have happened that I didn't expect that have kind of made this phase in my life a bit more difficult. And also, larger picture, the world we live in and things that are constantly happening that affect us. And as people, as weavers, as artists, as textile enthusiasts, we don't live in vacuums. And so I think that everything in the world that we live in is interconnected in some way. And I feel that if I feel compelled to talk about something or if I feel that there's something that could be addressed or there's a way that I could build a deeper connection with the people who have been such loyal followers and have been listening to this podcast and have had such kind words for me, I kind of want to give back in a way. And so both Sarah and I have been thinking about adding another segment to the podcast. And with this segment... We're not sure exactly how we want it to go, but we do want it to incorporate listener participation. So we want to hear your stories, whether that be an email of you talking about what weaving or textiles or farming has done for you in your life and how it's affected you or how you feel about some of the conversations we've had. Or if there's something you want to add, we are also open to accepting audio recordings of people. So say you wanted to deliver a message to our audience in a way that you want to express it. We're open to that. I mean, this is definitely trial and error. So it might take some time to figure out exactly what's going to work, but You know, I get the sense that when people are listening to this podcast, they're getting something other than a conversation about craft. And 
For me, this podcast is so important and it means so much to me because without having you all, without having to look forward to a conversation once a week, I wouldn't have a community to converse with. I I wouldn't have the opportunity to learn more. I wouldn't have the opportunity to dig deeper. And there have been so many times in this journey where I have felt defeated and I have felt like maybe this isn't for me or maybe maybe I might give up. Maybe I need to push this to next year. And I thought about the conversation that I had with, for instance, Donna Hardy, when she was saying that there were so many times when she gave up Indigo or wanted to give up Indigo, but it kept knocking on her door, it kept knocking on her door. And she answered, she's created a really amazing legacy, a really amazing level of research, a really amazing level of insight that is going to last through generations. It was through my conversation with Donna Hardy that one, I came to understand that I needed to push and also that I was even in a position to grow the indigo seeds that I have, which I will get into in just a bit. Um, I also have a bunch of pictures that I've taken throughout the time of my progress and my plantings and things. So if you all are interested, you can visit the Jishan website at www.jishan.com slash episode dash 76. And you can see some of my progress. Um, but just kind of <laughs> going back to thinking more about the spiritual connection that we all have to nature, farming, natural materials, and weaving. There's something deeper. And, and, It's always so interesting to me that when you hear a lot of spiritual sayings, they use weaving analogies. If you think about my episode last week with one of my closest friends, Miriam Vergara, when she was talking about the numbers and the counting, there's something deeper about weaving. And... I really want to hear from you all. I really want to learn more from you all. There's so much to be discovered. And there's so many ways for us to connect. So that's my (laughs) call to action to listeners. We decided that we are going to give it about a month of collecting responses and information from people. So... If you don't have time to write us anything or to send in anything, whenever you get a chance, please let us know. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook if those are better mediums for you to communicate with us as opposed to email. But I'll be sure to put links to reaching us and me directly in the show notes. So that's where we're at. This is a call to action to our listeners to reach out to us and to communicate with us and to tell us 
some of what you want to hear. It's been really awesome. Some of the letters and feedback that I've gotten from you all. And also some of the people that you have referred to me to interview. And some of the relationships that I have been able to build based off of that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting. And thank you for having me in your thoughts. Because that's what's most important is your thoughts. So kind of going back to talking about why I felt compelled to be more transparent is because I wanted to bring up a conversation about mental health and wellness. I know personally that being a creative, being an artist, working with textiles, fabrication, weaving, embroidery, um, sewing, pattern making, all of those things, they really calm and soothe me. They really bring a peace to me. I feel understood in some way. I feel that with these materials, we're sort of coming together and merging and creating something that is... Some somehow a nonverbal agreement between the two of us. I feel very connected to materials. And I think that's how I found myself in this realm of farming and really wanting to get close to where things come from. Because, you know, we use the word creativity and we call ourselves creators. And we worked with these materials that are part of creation. And so in this journey, growing things from seeds and watching them flourish and sometimes not flourish (laughs) um, has had lasting effects on how I view life and what it means to be a creator and to be creative. You know, really, I think that as creators and creatives and designers and artists and weavers and whatever you wish to call yourself, we're mediums, we're communicators. One of the first things that I learned in art school was that as artists, we are available in response. And I try to make that my mantra for life. Because I've been feeling a little bit not wonderful, I want to work on that. And I get the sense that everyone might be feeling some of that as well. I mean, you look at the political landscape, things that are happening I know that there are people listening to this who live in other countries, so I won't assume that everyone is under the same uh, political situation. But if you are familiar with what's happening in America with our president and the type of criminalization that is being placed upon marginalized groups of people... 
things are kind of dim, you know, things are kind of dim. It seems like at the blink of an eye, there's another mass shooting or a tragic event. And on top of dealing with that, you also have your own personal life and things that are happening and decisions to make. And for those of you who don't know, I am 26. So I'm also kind of in that quarter to midlife. Well, not quarter to midlife. (laughs) I've heard it's called a quarter life crisis (laughs) where you just kind of are no longer young enough to really make a lot of the mistakes that you made when you were younger, but you're also not old enough to be wise enough to not make a lot of the mistakes that you may or may not have made when you were younger. I guess I am at that phase where I'm just curious about, I guess I'm at that phase where I'm just trying to figure out what I want my life to look like and how I will get there. Now, on to my garden update. (laughs) I don't really know where to start. I mean, I could literally talk for four or five episodes about what I've learned in this process. And I think that because I'm still in, in the thick of it, I would like to wait until I harvest so that I can have a full circle moment of reflection and understanding start to finish how things have gone what I could have done differently and also to offer some advice to those of you who are interested in taking up something like this whether it's small scale or large scale Um, and also I've realized how difficult it is to find good advice, good farming advice. It's very difficult, very hard to come by, especially in this, in, in this subcategory of farming, you know, fiber farming, textile farming. There is not a lot of information on the internet. There's not a lot of books and the books that do exist tend to not really offer constructive advice. But I will say that Fiber Shed's text that they put out about growing indigo and different machinery that you can use in processing indigo is incredibly comprehensive and wonderful and amazing. So if anyone is interested in growing Persicaria tinctoria, I would highly suggest that you look into the information that they have because it's wonderful. So as I mentioned previously, the indigo that I'm growing is indigo sucfuticosa. So originally in my previous podcast episode, I was talking about indigo fera tinctoria, which is said to be the variety of indigo that was popularized by... Eliza Pickney, who was a plantation owner and during slavery is credited with making indigo a cash crop. 
Um, I've done more research into learning about indigo sucfruticosa, and um, there's I still have a bit more to learn before I can understand, aside from the plant differences, how the histories relate. But many and most of the growers that I've come across in South Carolina that grow indigo and accredit the variety of indigo that was popularized in South Carolina to being indigo sucfruticosa, which is a tropical indigo. So usually in indigo conversations, you hear people talking about Persicaria tinctoria, which is popular in northern climates because it is cold hardy. Um, and then indigo ferritinctoria, which is tropical indigo. Indigo sucfruticosa is also tropical indigo, but it's not the same as indigo ferra. Similar, but not the same. Which is why, <laughs> because I had done my research kind of based on indigo ferra tinctoria when it came time for me to plant indigo sucfruticosa. It was a conundrum. (laughs) So I was lucky enough to come across a large amount of seeds, but I replanted twice before I planted this final time and got germination. So I did not get good advice from, well, I shouldn't say I didn't get good advice. I was applying knowledge of different plants to this specific variety. One of the main things that I did not understand, which was different from the other seeds that I would have purchased um, if I was not growing indigo sucfruticosa, is that indigo sucfruticosa comes in a, it's a very, it has a lot of seeds. However, the seeds come in a husk and the husk, has to, when it's in the ground, break down to allow the seeds in the inside that are inside of the husk to then grow and to bloom. So I think that that was a part of the reason why my germination was not happening. And also, although the plant indigo is nitrogen rich, it fixes nitrogen to the soil, So if you grow indigo on a patch of land for a period of time, it will improve the soil quality. It's a legume. It also can be used as a cover crop. Um, In order to start it, it does need a lot of nitrogen and it does need a lot of really rich soil, which again, I kind of was thinking, oh no, I don't think it's going to need much, (laughs) which on my part, Not smart, but we learn. And so third time's a charm. What I did the third time was I got a lot of compost and piled it up and I concentrated the amount of land that I was using as opposed to um, how I was doing it before. So when I planted the first two times, I was planting maybe three seeds per section and I was leaving a lot of space in between for when it's time to harvest but from the advice that I got they were saying just broadcast seeds and lightly cover them with really rich compost 
fertilize them, water them for the first maybe week or so lightly and they will come right up. And that's what happened. And so I'm excited that they came up. Um, I'm not going to have as much indigo as I was hoping for, but that happens and I have some indigo and I've learned a lot and I'm in a position to help other people. So it's a win. Um, and I will have images of my indigo seeds, images of my plants and images of how they have come along. Um, if I... So I planted them in my first planting, I think was in maybe early April. And then I planted again late April. And then my final planting was maybe like first week of May, second week of May. So the plants are going to reach maturity because I can already see them starting to flower and the seeds are coming in. So that's exciting. So I'll be able to harvest seeds from them this season, but they probably won't get as mature as they would have if I would have had that extra month to get started. But you know, like I said, it's a win. It is still a win. I'm so excited that the seeds came up. Because there was a good while where I was just like, oh my gosh, (laughs) what is going on? But I figured it out. So another connection that I made via the podcast, which turned out to be fruitful for this project, is Sharon Dannon from Acadian Brown Cotton. If you remember the Acadian Brown Cotton episode, she gifted me two varieties of seeds, one variety being Acadian brown cotton that originated from Cajuns in New Orleans. She also provided me with green cotton seeds from Oaxaca, Mexico. I believe they are from the Tutelpec community. I might have butchered that. I apologize if I've offended anyone. I will make sure everything is typed properly in the captions of the images that I will post on the blog post. And those two varieties are doing well. Those two varieties are both Gossipium hirsutum, which are known to be shorter in staple length, also known as upland cotton. Um, I was interested specifically in growing Sea Island cotton and I was able to source heirloom Sea Island cotton seeds, but I think that because of the quality of my soil, the seeds just did not do well. They are still coming along. They have produced bulbs and they flowered. Um, I did cut a little bulb off this morning just because I wanted to see what would be inside and I did see some little fibers. So that variety is Gossipium barbadensi, which if you wanted to know more about the difference in the fibers and the qualities, you can also listen to my episode with Sally Fox. The variety of cotton that she grows as expressed by her was Gossipium barbadensi, which is um, Sea Island cotton, also known as Sea Island cotton. It is a longer staple length. It's very soft. It's also um, another word for it could be considered Egyptian cotton. 
Um, there are various differences, but like ESL cotton, extra long staple length, it's a, it's a whole thing. But those varieties are usually Gossypium barbadensi. And of that variety, um, I planted three rows of Gossypium barbadensi. One is green cotton and the other is brown. Um, however, when I, the, the bulb that I cut off this morning and looked at, the fibers were white and it could just be because the plant is not mature and I did that prematurely, um, just because I was curious, you know, this is all experimental. Um, everything that I'm growing right now, I will most likely use for personal projects, um, and more for research. I don't really intend to sell them or to make clothes out of them. Or make clothes that will be mass produced out of them, I should say. Um, but yeah, things are coming along. Um, most of my plants are a little stunted. And I, I'm pretty sure they're stunted, again, because of the soil quality. But they are coming along. So that's about the cotton. So other things that I'm growing that I just wanted to grow just to see what would happen. I'm growing passion flower. Um, and it's doing well. I mean, it's green. It's not dead. It's not fruiting. And it hasn't vined particularly. I did not start these from seed. I started them. I bought them as starts from a company. Um which they could very well be great, but I think that maybe they need another year to fruit. Maybe that's why I'm not seeing any fruit, but it is vining and it is green. I can say that much. <laughs> the flower, the leaves are big and green. And what I will most likely do once, because it is a, uh, it's not code hardy, I will snip the leaves and dry them and make tea. And passion flower tea is known to be calming and relaxing. I actually use a passion flower tincture to help me with anxiety. So I look forward to seeing how that goes. Another crop that I am growing is hibiscus, which I will also have images of. The hibiscus is really great and it's really bushy. And the reason I wanted to grow hibiscus is because I know a woman who's a farmer, who's amazing. Her name is Benita Clemens. I will link her in the show notes. She makes a delicious hibiscus ginger tea. Um, and she, when I first met her, I actually met her at the National Black Farmers Conference when I went a few years ago and interviewed her for my research. And she told me that hibiscus was like a cousin to cotton. And I just wanted to know. I wanted to see what would happen. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with the hibiscus. It has just begun to flower. So we will see what happens. Again, hibiscus, I believe, is also tropical. So we'll see how much longer we have in the season. I am growing gourds. Both birdhouse gourds and loofah gourds. The loofah gourds are coming along. 
gourds in general, they vine. They're very beautiful once they get really high and they get those big, big leaves and then you can see the fruit hanging. So cool. I love gourds. I'm so excited um, about how they've taken off. They really don't show you or reveal themselves until around August because they take a long time to sort of come up. So I'm just now starting to see my gourds come up and they're so beautiful. Oh my goodness. I love how big the leaves are and it's short lived, you know, once the fruit, once the leaves have fed, um, once the plant has fed the fruit and the fruit matures, the leaves will die off. So you only have a couple months of sort of having that beautiful green archway, but I love it so much. Um, and I'm growing loofah gourds and birdhouse gourds. Uh, I am growing loofah gourds because I kind of felt like they went along with the theme of like growing textiles, really trying to find viability in natural resources or uh, fiber plants, fibrous plants. So plants that can become things other than food. Um, we have plants that can become fabrics and with gourds, we have plants that can become musical instruments, sponges, purses, <laughs> um, jewelry, um, bowls, utensils, forks. Um, the variety that I have is not um, indigenous to Africa, but a lot of indigenous cultures and African cultures grow gourds and use them for lots of, of household things. And I will make sure to put some images of those and hopefully they will make it all the way throughout the season so that when it's time to harvest, you can see how I use them. I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to use them for. Maybe I'll try to sell them. But, you know, like I said before, I think when I started off this season or when I was thinking last year about what I wanted to do, I was like, Mm, I need to figure out how I'm going to make money. I need to figure out how I'm going to make money back. And once I actually started, I realized I need to focus on learning how to grow things. I need to focus on gaining the experience. I need to focus on why I'm doing this and what value this is bringing to my life. And um, so, yeah, the gourds, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Uh, I think I'm definitely going to try to make some bowls. <laughs> the loofahs, I'm definitely going to use them to wash. I actually use loofahs to wash already. So I'm really excited that I have grown them. And they have not start. They have started to flower just this week. And I've started to see the little, the little fruit. Um, come in. So I'm excited to see. Hopefully we get some nice big loofah gourds and they have enough time to reach maturity and I can harvest them. So fingers crossed. I'm hoping that you all are keeping me and my crops in your thoughts. Um, and lastly, watermelon. So my neighbor had a bunch of watermelon and I had an extra row um, in my garden. So I, you know, let him, he, he's helped me tremendously in this process. He helped me put up the fence. 
Um, he helped me get the compost in his pickup truck. He helped me get the hay that I need to mulch. So it was no problem at all to offer him, you know, some space in my garden. And he planted some watermelons. And I also planted some watermelons. And they were super green and super lush and just like really kind of becoming intrusive, like growing all over the place. I had watermelons growing where my cotton was, watermelons, you know, watermelons vine. So they were like the the extra little vine. I know that there's a word for it, but I can't think of it right now. The extra little stem that wraps around things when things vines, those started wrapping around my cotton and my hibiscus and um grass <laughs> and taking over and then it was like I blinked my eye and they all just started to rot and all of all of my watermelon plants just went bad and I did not put a lot of effort or planning into growing the watermelon I kind of just was like oh I want to grow some watermelon I've also never grown watermelon before so I did not know its characteristics. I knew that you're supposed to either grow them in plastic to keep them from rotting on the ground or you should vine them. But I was so overwhelmed in the beginning of this process. There were a lot of things that were going on in my personal life that I just was like, okay, and. The things that I'm really here for is cotton and indigo. And that's what I need to focus on because those are the things that I need to learn from so that I can be better next season. So I kind of, you know, said, okay, we'll see what happens with the watermelon. And I was able to harvest a couple, have one really, really big green one and then one little tiny red sweet baby watermelon, which was so delicious. If you haven't had sweet baby watermelons, they're just really tiny, really round, and the skin on the outside is really dark, and the inside is really red, and they're very sweet. They're sweeter than typical watermelon slices that come from the light green ones with the dark green stripes, but they are delicious. I love them. They're my favorite variety. Um, so yes, (laughs) I hope that I did not just overwhelm you with that update. And like I said, I could talk for like 10 episodes about what has happened, what I've learned. Um, I'm growing a lot of different varieties of things, which looking back on it, I think I maybe would have just picked three, two or three so that I could really focus on, but it, it's, it's been difficult. It's, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's been difficult to balance all of those things because in addition to that, I also had to get a job because I could not afford to do this full time. So having a job, I have to organize my time so that I have enough time in the morning to water everything and, you know, all of that. So given the cards that the universe has dealt over this period, over these past few months, I think that I've done very well and I've ran with the punches and I've done my best 
and I look forward to the future. Um, I also have a lot of things swimming around, a lot of ideas in my mind, a lot of things that I want to share with you all, but I just need a few more months to collect and get things together before I can kind of reveal to you what my next steps are. Uh, But they are good steps. They are exciting steps. And they are warranted steps. So again, thank you all so, 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 so very much for listening and for keeping me in your thoughts and for caring about this project. And also for reaching out to the other farmers and textile makers that have been on the podcast that you all have contacted and followed and supported. We really, we really, really, really appreciate you all. And again, please converse with us. Please send in your thoughts, your experiences, whatever it is that you would like to add to the canon of this podcast. Uh, We want to hear your feedback. So thanks again for tuning in and listening to this long episode that I wanted to be short, that turned out long. I'm hoping that I don't sound like I'm rambling, but that tends to happen when you're talking to yourself. (laughs) So again, thank you for supporting us. Next week on the podcast, Sarah is talking to Natalie Novak, a tapestry weaver in Portland, Oregon, and the founder of Combed Thunder. So stay tuned for that episode next week. And until next time, happy weaving!